we forgive because Jesus has paid for it. Jesus who paid for your sin paid for the other person's sin too. Forgiveness is like repentance. It's the other side of the coin. Repentance, I deal with my sin. Forgiveness, I deal with other people's sins against me. But it has to become a lifestyle, like Sharon says, if we want to really walk with the Father. And many, many of those issues will be parent issues or parent substitute issues or parent figure issues. They will be mother, father, teacher, boss, civil authorities, pastors. Any area where there's been that parent-type role, usually we have a catalogue of things to forgive. And we can let them go. We can just say, oh, that's just how it was. Or, you know, one of the mistakes we make is that we, because we understand why, we don't forgive. I remember a guy, a friend of mine years ago, who had come from a, a mining town in the north of England saying to me, well, my, my dad never said he loved me, but, you know, he come from a man's man village, and that's okay. And I said, no, it's not okay. Because you're, you were designed to hear your father say, I love you. Your heart was designed to function on those words. And when creation fell... Parent, parenting fell, but the need of your heart didn't fall. It stayed the same. Everything fell except your design. You were still designed to run on love, even though love didn't work very well. And so... The issue isn't, do I understand why the person did that? The issue is, was I designed to receive that? Should, in God's perfect plan, that have happened? If it didn't, then it's an item for me to forgive. Okay? And Sharon and I went through this process, as she said, over many, many, many months when we first came into this revelation. I remember going to my room every day and saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want to remind me of today? And usually there would be two, three, four, five things. Some of them might have happened the day before. and Some of them might have happened 30 years before. 
But wherever something had happened that had stolen something from me, had affected my life in some way, I chose to forgive it. I chose to put that person's sin on the cross as a specific specific act. What I found was that over a period of time, I started to change. I didn't know why initially. I'd been quite fearful. I'd been quite a nervous person. I'd, I'd constantly been sort of looking over my shoulder. It was like there were irrational things. And I'd had prayer for the irrational things, but they didn't change. But as I started to forgive this layer after layer, littlest things, things I maybe had only come to me by family stories. I mean, do those things matter? Yeah, they do matter because actually they affect you in the spirit. So, you know, my mum would laugh, of a, laugh latterly of a story of when uh, she first had me as a baby and um, she went to the shops. In those days, you left the pram outside the shop while you went in. Don't do that these days, do you? She got her shopping, went home, made a cup of tea, sitting there drinking her cup of tea, and she's thinking, something's missing. What's missing? Oh, I've got a baby. And she, she went back to the shops, and thankfully for her and for me, this little one was still sleeping quietly. Now I laugh, she laughs, I laugh now. But was that something to forgive? Yes. Yes. Because what I received wasn't what God intended for me. I was... Something, something was less. There was a debt incurred. I was owed. Debt isn't just money. Debt is anything you're owed. Debt is anything that's been taken from you. So I was owed safety. I was owed security. I was owed intentionally being looked after. You may say that's a bit extreme, but that's how I think and work. And so one of those days, I remember forgiving and letting that one go. We went through list after list of these things. Recent and historic. And a couple of things happened noticeably. One, we started to become much more aware of the Holy Spirit and much more aware of what God was doing. It became much easier to receive. Where I might have stood in a prayer line before thinking, oh, nothing's happening, I'm not getting this. I didn't even need to stand in the prayer line because I was receiving. The other thing is that the irrational fears and all that sort of stuff just evaporated from my life. Weren't there anymore. They went. Why? Because unforgiveness allows the tormentors to get to you. 
But if you deal with, for, deal with the issues and forgive, the tormentors of fear, irrational stuff, can no longer have access to your mind and heart. And so, in the context of us thinking about the Father's love, this is a really important one. Because for all of us, our biggest issues of forgiveness relate to our parents. That's the foundational line. There may be many others, but that's where we start. And um, so Jesus said, forgive the debts. So that's anything that's owed. You see, if you, for example, if you start your day and you're really happy and you've got great hopes for the day, and then you get a phone call from someone who's, whatever, angry or, I don't know. And you, your, your day goes off course from that moment. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah? Then there is a gap between where you should have been and where you ended up. Do you get that? That gap is the debt you are owed because that person took away your good day. This is how Jesus is thinking when he says forgive debts. What did you lose and who took it? That is the spiritual understanding of debt and we have a requirement on us to release that. There's only two ways to deal with debt. You pay it back or you write it off. And so as a practice, we started to write off debt. We would say, what happened? What did it? they owe me? And we would often write it out in a book and cross it out or we'd write an invoice out on so-and-so. You said that. I lost my joy. You owe me my joy. But in Jesus' name... I forgive you, and I release it. Tear up the invoice. Gone. And if you can get into what works for you, but you can become diligent like this, I guarantee your connection with the Father will start to go from strength to strength. Okay? Because we are dealing with the blockages and the things in us that are getting in the way. I think I'm going to start with, with that other PowerPoint. Have you got, could you just flick that one up? And I'm just going to begin with this session and we'll carry it on afterwards because this ultimately uh, is about, and we need to f finish with practical forgiveness. Okay, so everyone's still with me? Okay. Could you flick that through to um, the next one? Okay, Psalm 27, verse 10. This is a key scripture for us. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. The different translations will say it's slightly different. But the, the, the point of it is this, that there are areas where our parents 
miss. Miss it. Okay? If you're a parent, you know there are areas you missed it. Yeah. As a father, I have many. The biggest and greatest thing my kids can ever do is to forgive me for the stuff I got wrong. And we as parents in a fallen world with fallen lives miss things. When, whenever, at the points that my father and or my mother miss it, then the Lord will make up the difference, make up the gap, fill in the pieces. What a promise. Yeah? What a promise. And this word, take me up, or take care of me, some translations say, literally means to scoop up the pieces. The Lord will scoop up the pieces. He will make up the difference. And so we want to just look for the rest of the afternoon, for a few more minutes now, and then after the coffee break, at just some of the issues of um, parent types that have caused the debts in our lives. Okay? You all right with that? Debts, what I didn't say is that we're also asked to forgive trespasses and we're also asked to forgive offences. Okay? Now, an offence is perhaps more easy to understand. Offence is when I'm hurt and I can feel something. But a debt, I don't necessarily feel. Okay, so for example, if, you know, um, go back to the times when, um, you know, people got sent to Australia for stealing a loaf of bread. You know, if, if someone, if a poor person went into the petrol station down the road and they literally are starving to death and they nick a bag of sweets, they should have chosen something better to nick, but no, you know. But they nick a, a bag of sweets. <laughs> then we would probably have compassion on them and say, we understand why they did that. But for the guy who's got to balance his till, there's still a debt. Yeah? So debt isn't necessarily connected to emotion. Debt is connected to Reality. Yeah? That's why Jesus uses numbers to describe it. Because numbers are not emotional. They are fact. But there are other things we have to forgive. Trespasses. Now, my idea of a trespass is do not trespass on the grass. You know, that's kind of like... And if you see that sign, how many of you, if you see, do not trespass? (laughs) How many of you... Do. How many of you want to? (laughs) How many of you? (laughs) One foot. 
Trespass means crossing my boundaries. You see, you can have realistic boundaries or you can have unrealistic boundaries. But if someone crosses your boundaries, you've got to forgive them because you have to forgive the trespass. And so there's a number of packages of forgiveness that it's quite important to process because when we do, we take the layers off our hearts. Okay? You with me? Happy? Okay. So we're going to just look at some of these things for a few minutes. Could I flick through the next slides? I haven't got this in front of me now. I can't remember what's on there. Okay, so we view God the Father through our experience of parents and parent figures. Thank you. Next one. Okay. So uh, many people, as Sharon has said, had negative associations with the word dad or father. So she said for her, you know, dad's anger meant God is angry. And that wasn't necessarily rational. It's just automatic because it's been embedded in her heart. Could you flick through? Thank you. Okay, so Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this, I have difficulty in praying the Lord's Prayer because whenever I say our Father, I think of my own Father who was hard, unyielding and relentless. I cannot help but think of God that way. This was a guy that was influential for forming and releasing much of the Protestant church as we know it. And, bless him, did a good job with a lot of the stuff he did. But unfortunately this, if this is in the guy that's setting the scene, it means that the movement is most likely not going to have a revelation of the Father either. Okay? And so... This is quite typical. Sometimes if we mention dad or father, uh, people have a problem just with the words. Could you flip over? Thank you. So there are different father or parent types. We're going to just touch on them quickly. I'll probably get through one now, and then we'll do the others after coffee. The performance-oriented father. Now... The titles we're using are, I've grouped them into a few, and these names were coined by a friend of mine, Eddie Piorek, who um, was a colleague of John Wimber's and um, wrote a really good book on the Father's Love years ago called The Father Loves You. If you can get hold of one, it's worth getting. But he does all these ones with peas, so I kept his peas. The performance-oriented father. This is a type of parent that gives and withholds on the basis of what you do. They give acceptance, they affirm you, they encourage you, they give you presents attached to your achievements. Someone recently, well a couple of years ago, you know, I remember talking to and they'd got like, they'd done their GCSEs and it was like um, 
I've got eight A stars and one B. And the father said, not congratulations on the eight A stars, but why did you get a B? What went wrong? And the approval was performance-based. Maybe you got a hug from a parent only if you did what they wanted you to do. Maybe they only spoke well of you or to you if you did what they thought you should be doing. If you fail in their eyes, the blessing never comes. The chores, the exams, the sports. I remember my dad trying to teach me to play cricket. It was one of the worst disasters ever. I simply didn't enjoy it. But I remember him getting quite angry with me because I didn't hit the ball. And in this, I had to work through some forgiveness because it shaped me into performing. It, it, also, it also partially conditioned me to avoid things I thought I couldn't do. I, don't, I think I'll run away at that point rather than have to work through it. Uh, this person dangles a carrot. Um, they promise, they promote a fear of failure and a sense that you will never quite be able to measure up fully. It's a bit of a, um, I can't get, I, you know, I can't get it right. I might get thrown out. I won't be loved. I won't have my needs met. It, it means I can't know intimacy for a sustained period of time. Today, I can know them and feel loved, but tomorrow I might make a mistake and I won't have it. And so our life is stop-start. Love becomes stop-start. And when we have that, then we project that onto God. And it's, well, I did okay today, so I can feel loved by him. But then when I make a mistake, I sin, I don't measure up to something. I expect his presence to leave me. Hmm? And I really, really, really had to work through that one. Okay? Do you ever feel that? Have you ever felt that? I'm doing okay, therefore I can feel his presence. I'm not doing okay today, so he won't hang around. No, I will never leave you. Or forsake you. But our experience puts the, the, the layer into our heart. And in that area, we pick up the heart of stone. And so, um, this is one of the big categories. It, you know, you might have experienced this in a limited way, or it might have been the main story. Um, do you feel loved only on certain days? Do you expect God to love you every day, to feel his love? Do you fear losing his approval? He wants you to know and feel how much he loves you every minute. 
when you mess up as well as when you are perfect. When you make a mistake, do you run from him or do you run to him? Hmm? If you run to him, then you are breaking the power of this one. If you run from him, then maybe there's still some performance orienting that has to come off. And just as I finish off this, it's a bit like, imagine if, have, have, have you been to like fairgrounds and stuff where they have the crooked mirrors? Yeah? And you can go in and, and uh, you know, you can stand in front of one and you've got this enormous head and this little body. Yeah? Or, or you've got a really wobbly body. And um, now, and it's a joke and it's fun. But listen, let's just imagine the scenario. If, if you're growing up and the only mirrors you had in your house were those ones, yeah? You would think that's what you look like. Because that's all you've ever seen. And you would go out on the street thinking, I've got an enormous head. And a little body. That was a bit of a joke, but it, it's true. And you see, our parents are our mirrors. They reflect back to us what we look like. They reflect back to us how we're doing. They reflect back to us whether we're okay or not. And if you grow with this kind of feedback, reflect back, then it's like living with a crooked mirror. And your identity becomes distorted. And Jesus wants to change it because he is the perfect mirror. His word is the perfect mirror. And it tells you perfectly what you look like. Amen.